worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Tom Searcy, co-author of How to Sell in Place, Closing Deals in the New Normal. And you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you are a listener, to the Marketing Book Podcast. If I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever you need to learn more about, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. I produce this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing world of marketing and sales in order to remain successful. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies to become better known, liked, and trusted in this modern era of the customer who doesn't want to be marketed or sold to. To learn more about the problems we solve, visit salesartillery.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Tom Searcy to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new book he has co-authored with Kara Jane Moore, How to Sell in Place, Closing Deals in the New Normal. Tom Searcy is a nationally recognized author, speaker, and expert in large account sales. How do we know he's an expert? By the age of 40, Tom had led four corporations, growing them each from revenues of less than $10 million to greater than 100 million, and in the last case, from startup to greater than 200 million, each in less than four years. This growth was organic and achieved without buying, selling, or merging any of the four corporations. I know some of you all are asking that question. Since they founded Hunt Big Sales, a fast growth consultancy whose clients have landed more than 12 billion in new sales, with 190 of the Fortune 500 companies, including 3M, Disney, Chase Bank, International Paper, AT&T, Apple, and hundreds more. He's the author of RFPs Suck, How to Master the RFP System Once and for All to Win Big Business. He's the co-author of Whale Hunting, How to Land Big Sales and Transform Your Company. And He's the author of How to Close a Deal Like Warren Buffett, Lessons from the World's Greatest Dealmaker. His book, Life After the Death of Selling, How to Thrive in the New Era of Sales, covers the new buyer-driven economy and how to survive extinction in the new era of sales. He's written weekly online columns for Forbes, CBS, Money Watch, and Inc., and he's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Inc. Magazine, and many other business publications. And interesting fact. He was once in a business relationship with the co-founder and CEO of Death Row Records and now convicted felon, 
<laughs> Suge Knight. Tom, congratulations on how to sell in place, closing deals in the new normal, and the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks, Doug. It is great to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, and I'm sorry, but you have such street cred, having been in a business <laughs> relationship with Suge Knight. Now, isn't he? He's in prison now, so we can talk freely about him. Although I gotta wonder if a lot of prisoners listen to this podcast. <laughs> he was also uh, suspected of uh, killing Tupac Shakur. Uh, yeah, arranging the murder of Tupac Shakur. And of course, his, if you look him up uh, at his rap sheet online, you'll find out that he is 25 time a charged felon. So diff- 25 different times they've charged him with different felonies. Nothing to be proud of and grateful that he's behind the bars. Yes. So people that you do business with, it's not like a requirement that they have a, a felony conviction though, right? No, and it's not on my resume, but I'm glad that you brought it up into our conversation today. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, you know, I just, I just think uh, that's that's really interesting, and I just didn't see it coming. I mean, you live in Indiana; you you seem like this kind of guy that just wouldn't wouldn't hang out with uh, somebody like Suge Knight. But you know what? Hey, that probably makes you the most (laughs) interesting man in the world. Dos Equis now has a new spokesperson. So, this book, which uh, was written pretty. very, very recently. It's hot off the presses. Um, and it was brought to my attention by my friend, James Muir, who's the author of The Perfect Close. And he and I do a monthly uh, show for the B2B Growth Show about the books that have recently been on this. So, uh, James, hello. And I appreciate you making the introduction to, to Tom for me. And I loved the book. It's a short book. Uh, there were two experiences that I had. I just got to gotta share my emotions with you, Tom. Okay. One is, it's as if you all grabbed me by the lapels and shook some sense into me Um, because deep down inside, I was just not quite sure about, you know, whoa, what should we be doing to, you know, try and, you know, fill the pipeline and and, and get going here. Honestly, there still was some uncertainty, but more importantly, by the end of the book, it inspired me. It it really inspired me to want to get it regardless of this, this pandemic we're, we're going through. And I really liked the book, but then on page 24, you told a Steve Martin joke. And I just said, oh, man, this guy is my brother from another mother. Because I'm a guy who in high school was quoting Steve Martin. And I still do, but most people uh, ignore that. Before we get to the book, I want to ask you one quick question. I've, I do this. This is a real interview, Tom, where we're talking about your book. And I still do these once a week. But I've been doing a almost daily episode called Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, where <laughs> – Past, I saw it. Oh, did you? To it. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Past <laughs> guests have come back on is just to kind of talk about what's going on because I didn't know what was going on and my listeners were all asking me about what what's going on. And, you know, I, I reached out to a lot of authors and said, hey, what do you think about doing this thing? And uh, w- would you be interested? And within an hour, I'd heard from over 100 authors and quite a large number had said, Doug, I'm already drinking anyway, so this isn't <laughs> going to be a problem. So at the end of the day, I talk, get to talk to reconnect with one of these one of these authors. But one thing, and I've interviewed uh, authors of uh, sales books, and many of them have come back on the limited time series, Authors in Quarantine, and a lot of folks are getting this question about, is it okay to sell? And I was just wondering if you've been getting that vibe, uh, particularly maybe more so two months ago. What What's your thought, and have you been hearing that from people? People are really concerned that they're being insensitive, right? So that right now their answer is, gosh, I don't want to reach out to people. They're busy. They're scared, etc." You know what? One of the things that they're really scared of is that they don't have answers. 
the buyers that are out there in the areas of their greatest amount of concern, things that need to happen in the next 60 to 90 days, even if a decision needs to be made and that it will affect the future for a year, two years, whatever, they're still sitting on a powder keg of problems and they need expertise so that they can make decisions more quickly. So if you're sensitive to the idea and know in advance, what are the kinds of problems that people in my marketplace and the kinds of companies that are in my marketplace are having, you are not only required to sell, but more importantly, you need to be available to offer them that expertise, even if it's not because you're going to sell a product or services or whatever. Mm -hmm. Call them up, and but you have to call them up and say, uh, look, the people I'm talking to in the marketplace that are like you have these three challenges right now. Do you have any of these three challenges that I can answer for you in the next 60 to 90 days? Because they know that they've got three challenges, the the prospects that you're talking about, and they know that they need to make answers in the next 60 to 90 days. When you call them or you reach out to them or you have a webinar with them or however you're, you're connecting with them and you say, I get you and what's going on and I understand your urgency, those people want to talk to you. And that's what makes it a valuable connection. And it means you're not selling, it's solving. Mm-hmm. Oh, very important distinction. And also brought to mind something I'd heard from an author who's been on the show three times, uh, Anthony Anarino, who you mm. probably bump into. <laughs> a lot of these authors remind people, you know, selling is not something you do to someone. <laughs> it's something you do <laughs> with or for them. So, right. you know, he and others say, well, is it okay to sell? Uh, it sounds like they may have some issues of their own self-image and, and what, what selling actually is, effective selling. So let me just quote from the beginning of the book. You say, we have a lot to say about sales. Four books, 250 videos, 750 published articles and blogs. It's a lot. Those thoughts are woven into this book, but this book is not about sales processes or sales skills per se. This book was written at a pivot point in the world, a global pandemic. This pandemic has truly changed the way companies do business and businesses will not be able to return 100% to whatever was considered normal. Usually we would consider such a strong statement excessive, but not this time. Tom Searcy, explain what you mean when you say 90 days is the new clock. When people are investing right now in a time of uncertainty, your fear doesn't go away uh, because you feel like you've returned to some version of what the world was like before your crisis. It's like being bitten by a dog when you're a child or sometime early on. Are you going to always be concerned to some degree about a dog, a dog barking that you don't know wherever? Well, we've been bitten very, very hard by this pandemic, and we will forever have some level of risk tolerance reduction. If that's the case, then people are going to say, I can't predict a future longer than 90 days out. I mean, a, a quick statistic. Back on March, the week of March 1st, here in the United States, we only had less than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Okay. That's a crazy number. When you think of yourself being 12 weeks later and we have almost 2 million. All right. So that's a 90 day window of time of unbelievable, unprecedented um, kinds of challenges. So when you go forward, 
what are you looking to? Are you looking, believing that you're going to have uh, uh, an environment that has returned? Or will you always feel like you got bitten by that dog? Mm. And you're saying is, I'm not going to make decisions on a clock that was a three-year strategic plan or a five-year strategic plan or a four-quarter complete understanding. I will always be hedging around a, uh, a three-month window so that I know that I have uh, a way in which I can escape, move forward, pivot, shift, whatever you want to talk about. What are some of the mindset changes that need to happen now in terms of sales? The idea that going into the market and marketers as well and saying, I have an offering set of capabilities and let's get together and talk about it. The old sales uh, call that would say, hi, this time, seriously, I know that you guys are one of the important companies out there in the marketplace. I want to let you know that we're important. I think that we may be able to do something together. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about how our companies can work together. Throw that out the window. Nobody wants that call. No one wants to say, let's create a collaborative env- uh, environment based upon the fact that I don't know enough to be an expert. They want to hear, I am an expert. I'm going to call you because you and I agree that I am uh, a representative of three of or one to three of your biggest challenges. I bring expertise into the conversation. I know what your relevant issues are, and I have a potential solution to solve that problem and we can get that accomplished inside of less than 90 days. Even if the decision is a choice that will run for a year, two years, three years, the point is they want the decision in less than 90 days. They want to move that off their desk. That conversation, when I call you up and say, your business has uh, one or more of these three problems, all of a sudden I'm relevant. Mm -hmm. And through that relevance, and I say, you know, we're, we're really experts in those three particular issues. Well, you already sound like an expert because you've declared what their top three problems are. You've already established through declaration, but secondarily, you can establish through past history. And then you can say, I want to sit down, which, first of all, you ask the question, which of those three is uh, that you are experiencing? And they're going to give that to you, or they're going to say, it's kind of like those, but it's a little bit different, which means that they can change their language, but they still recognize that you're an expert. And you can say, okay, that's the problem that you have. We sit down or we, with you and we work through how we do this and we've done it for these kinds of companies. Let's set an appointment. I'm relevant. I'm specific. And we have agreement before I go. Instead of saying, hey, let's get together, have a cup of coffee, grab a meal, find out how our two companies can work together. That's done. Yeah. Thank you very much. That, that notion of let's get together, let's get a meal, it, it – it goes back to one of the mindsets you mentioned in the book, which is relationships are built on trust, not presence. And <clears throat> I hope that a lot of people are starting to feel that uh, they don't necessarily have to be there because it's really, I, after reading the book, I, I, I learned how secondary that is, particularly right now. You don't actually have to be there. And I, are you running into a lot of salespeople who are thinking, no, I still need to be, I, I still want to do it face to face. The people want it, and because it's where their comfort zone is, Mm -hmm. many of them don't uh, have the idea. They really don't feel comfortable with their demonstration of expertise in advance of their demonstration of relationship because they're in that friends-based kind of model. So they're 
they're curious um, about how do I do this? How, how am I going to do this? The other thing that they're finding is that the companies to whom they are selling don't want to see them. So the resistance is, and it's not because I don't want to see you. Uh, there's a reduction of time. So you've got time compression, new clock. And secondarily, there's new risk. You're walking in from a plane that was a two-hour, three-hour flight or a car, and you've been breathing somebody else's air of 200 people we don't know. And you come out of that tube and you come over here and now you want to sit down and talk to me and I've got 300 to 500 employees. Let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it just makes me wonder if uh, that's one of the silver linings where um, people don't feel like they have to go do that uh, initially. It's great to be able to meet with folks in person at some point in the relationship, but maybe more, uh, I don't know, further down the funnel or, 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 or later on, but not, not right now. So Tom, chapter five, I just loved it. it <laughs> and this is why I, I think we were, you know, uh, of, of cut from the same cloth because this is a sales book, but that was an excellent chapter about getting prospects to come to you and why that's more important. And that's why this is one of those sales books that marketing people should read. Can you talk about the importance of that? I think people say, yeah, yeah, you say that, Douglas, you're a marketing guy, but talk about the importance of getting prospects to come to you. And you could even use your own business as an example. This is a period of time where I think we should declare I've stopped just liking marketers and I am now love marketers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, and, and I've always, uh, well, I, you know, and I wrote to one of the other books, I really uh, did all the research and I, and I really understood that there's just been a huge tipping there, uh, uh, over to the need for marketers. But, um, Instead, there was always a need for marketers, but there was always a perception on the side of sales that their job was to create PowerPoints and proposals. And, yeah. you know, please, yeah, and please create a nice website for me. And then other than that, please don't get in my way. So, yeah. that, I mean, let's just be honest. That was the perspective of salespeople for a time. Tom, that's, now, still, that's still a widespread perception of marketers that they're arts and crafts party planners who work in the make it pretty <laughs> department. I, <laughs> I, I'm only laughing because you're so, it's like one of those things where you hear a truth that you've told to other people and you're like, oh, like you said, oh my gosh, Doug gets it. And probably most of the people who live, uh, listen to this. And it's enormously frustrating because you've got these super huge brains. Uh, I, I had a, uh, an opportunity to do a lot of work uh, with some folks from Omnicom and Razorfish and other kinds of people that are in the marketing business and, you know, on the marketing side of things. And they were kind of stuck over here in this brand kind of model. And then the salespeople over here um, just said, well, you know, here, drop their brochure <laughs> at the front desk and say, I've got a PowerPoint, but we'll skip slides, say two through uh, one at the very end and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so having this, so here's what ha it has, in my opinion, happened. It's really sales looked at the relationship as the first step in developing an opportunity for uh, a business. And then they would show some expertise, case studies, uh, examples, samples, whatever. A proposal would be generated. You would close the deal and you'd start to do the work. Now, how was that expertise demonstrated? It was a PowerPoint or it was, you know, go to our website or whatever. Now, people don't want to see you, which was the core of what used to be the old sales model. It was relationship first and then everything else second. Now, expertise is first, which is demonstrated through webinars and, uh, you know, the kinds of, uh, you know, uh, online uh, keynote events and uh, key line surveys that are put out there and the, the kinds of things that have 
been done for years, which is the analysis of data. Uh, but now all of that starts first because companies need expertise demonstrated to them rather than relationship. The second thing was proposal. The third thing is now close. And the fourth thing is performance and relationship is last. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to know you're, that, you're, that you're smart and relevant and valuable to me. And marketers can show that. You know, mm-hmm. One of the things that changed, uh, and all of it, the things that happened in the pandemic uh, are unfortunate. No one wants anyone to get ill, and no one wants anybody to die, and no one wants people to suffer. But we have to look at the moment of transformation. Think of all the people that did their business without Zoom or some other online service. Everybody, my mother and father, who are 77 years old, everybody. Now does Zoom calls or some other video calls, and that's a part of their meeting section. My daughters who are in uh, elementary and middle school, my point being is is that it's not just that sales has transformed. Buyers have transformed. Mm -hmm. People that are involved with expertise have transformed. And so in every case in which marketers can demonstrate uh, analysis, uh, white papers, analysis papers, um, uh, convening people to a webinar or some sort of a, uh, a methodology of demonstrating expertise and then sustaining that through additional contacts with salespeople or marketers through the process is going to be the winning opportunity and the relationship now. And not that you don't build some uh, confidence and some connection, but the really relationship part of servicing and being there for a customer comes to the to the end. You can't walk in and say, "Oh, I see you're a Red Sox fan," and uh, "Oh, uh, how old's your daughter?" and uh, "Oh, so you look like a golfer." You know, that's stuff mm-hmm. gone. That's gone. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah. If I if I if I looked at your office right now, more than likely those kinds of uh, items are not behind you. Um, and if they were, I couldn't see them. So, yes. Yes. Very so, true. So it just warmed the cockles of my heart. And the, re- the another reason I like it is because I can then, we talked about stealing information from one another <laughs> before we started recording. I can steal. See, this is a book about selling and I can quote liberally on our website saying, hey, don't take it from us. These are salespeople. These are sales leaders who are talking about the importance of the things that, well, in our instances, we sometimes help uh, clients with. Let's talk about Something that was about as clear to me as getting hit between the eyes with a two by four, which has never happened to me yet. <laughs> but uh, I'm always on the, you know, I'm always wary of that. And that's about speed. Speed, people often say speed kills. No. In your book, you didn't say this, I don't believe, but it's like speed wins. And I wanted to just quote from one thing on page 29 where you say the language and marketing materials for communicating the benefits of working with your company need to be transformed into a speed to outcome focus. What is this all about in terms of speed? Why does this become the big driver? Speed is the big driver because when you're in a period of crisis, no one is looking for a slow improvement you are always looking for, because you're in, in crisis. I mean, it, the, the classic is you're in the middle of the ocean. You're not looking for somebody to organize a search party that you can see and then bring out some sort of a boat. I'll take a rope. Just throw it out here. Yeah, um, there was a line in the book about how when your house is on fire, you're not too concerned about what plants to plant outside. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so that that idea of speed, if, if your answer is our organization can cut in half 
how long it takes to positive outcome. And you know, we work with engineering firms uh, who are closing deals right now, right now. And I'm talking about six figures, no, nine figure sales. And they're closing them in this moment because these people that are the buyers recognize that the folks that are doing the sales can work twice as fast as anybody else in the out. And they lead with, you're going to get your outcome faster from us. And here's how we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Big, big difference. Because here's the, the threshold used to be, all right, price. And the threshold used to be um, just product quality. But once you, and then after that speed, all right, now, Speed is more important than price, and product quality is now a threshold, a, a standard. The expectation is, is that as long as you've shown that you're good enough, I don't need better. I need faster. You do have to cross the threshold of good enough, but good enough and twice as long does not solve my problem. Tom, sir, so you're not saying that salespeople shouldn't be leading with uh, talking about their product first, are you? <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. Can you score it? It's softball. <laughs> That's always been the case. And I've actually given talks. The title of the talk was Stop Talking About Your Product First. And that was to a manufacturing group. And I thought I was going to get thrown off the stage. But now you really don't want to lead with this, this product quality uh, things uh, that, you're, that, you just, that you just mentioned. It's about uh, speed. And... Um, Speed, but also a deep understanding of what their uh, what their what their big problems are and the problems that that you solve for folks. But let's talk about one other thing that's in there, and that is don't go to the procurement person. Um, there's this interesting concept about how the big problems, the ones with the big money, you got to get to the top because they're the ones that can can open the the, the checkbooks for these kinds of things. Can you that concept there? The people at the very top have a different set of problems than the people in the middle and the people at the bottom. And uh, the fact is that procurement uh, and purchasing are the bottom tier. Their, their job is to validate that the decisions are financially viable in the marketplace and that when you start to purchase that there's an integrated way for invoicing. Lovely. How exciting. You can imagine that these guys are invited to cocktail parties all the time. Gosh, we've got to get all the purchasing people here. Now, um, remember, I wrote the book called RFP Suck, so you can imagine that I have a little <laughs> bit of a bias in it. Um, but well, they do <laughs> suck. They, they do suck. They suck time, energy, and they're soul sucking as well. Um, but how, having said all that, um, the top person has a different set of problems. The very top person has to move a needle, and he or she has got three specific, uh, and no more than three, that are their highest level problems. The person underneath that. Uh, their number uh, one through three problems is to implement what the other the choices were made by their boss. So implementation becomes their issue, and their need is only your ability to assist them in implementation. The top person has the choice for change, moving in a new uh, idea, a new vendor or partner, uh, a new overall approach to solutions. That's the decision at the top because it's going to move the needles. Um, so if you're not about speed and money, everything in the end has to be able to translate through to an income. You know, it's interesting. I'm doing analysis for uh, a webinar that I've got coming up and all of the, every position in the marketplace is being reduced 
by more than double digit. I mean, more than 10%, uh, some of them as high as 44% that are out there in the marketplace. Those people, what I want people to uh, understand is your prospects and customers have their own prospects and customers. What's their biggest problem right now? They need more prospects and customers. And so whatever problem that you solve, I don't care if it's you sell uh, chemicals and paint. I really don't care. It doesn't matter. If that makes a difference at the very top for them to get more customers along the way or to get a larger spend uh, amount out of their current customers, that's their number one problem. If you if you had your business reduce between, uh, by 10 to 44%, what would be your number one concern? You know? uh, that <laughs> that uh, <laughs> loss I just uh, experienced. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you say, I just got a quote from this, um, just to reinforce what you've just said, selling in place requires you to be the expert about the executive's big problem, not a vendor comparison, but a rapid solution to their business problem. And uh, companies for the foreseeable future will be concerned with the near-term choices that are necessary to survive and potentially secure advantage in their market. Soft savings and long-term improvements will not generate interest from top-level executives. And that's where you talk about nobody asks what flowers to plant in the garden when the house uh, is on fire. Here's another thing from the book that just really got my attention. Explain what you mean when you say, follow the fear and the failure. This was an issue that has been, salespeople have been curious about, oh my gosh. But here's the thing, we all failed as, as a, a country, as a business and et cetera by March 1. And we did it because who could see the pandemic coming? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, do, you know, did we fail? Well, okay, failure is way, uh, is, is the wrong because it distracts from the point uh, of what's going on, which is fear. What are people afraid of? Are they afraid that they're going to never come back to market share again or that they'll never have margin again, that they're going to be lose their business, that their industry is going to crush? Whatever it is that they're afraid of, the, these are the places where their problems are. You know, if you want to know one of the businesses that we work with, it's uh, is just on fire right now. It's cybersecurity. Mm. Cybersecurity is an issue around failure. That you know, people don't necessarily because it's a secondary level of what happened during the pandemic. We were slammed as a country by those people that were uh, looking to attack us uh, at the cyber level because they looked at us being vulnerable. Having said that, so they're all buying based upon what? Failure of their systems because they got rid of their IT people and fear of what the future is going to look like. When you are in the moment of crisis, I, you know, I keep coming back to the moment of crisis. When do I think that the crisis is going to end? I don't think it's going to end before 10, uh, 10 30, or 12 31 of this year. I don't think it's going to end by then. I think that uh, that dog bite is going to hold on to us for a very, very long time. What are you looking for? You may not be looking for advancement as you're looking to uh, reduce your fear and to respond to however you felt like you failed. So if you want to get out there and marketers want to get out there with expertise, one of the best things they can do is source. What is the biggest fear that got caused by this uh, um, uh, amazing, impactful event? 
right? And how did people say, I'm never going to let that happen again to my company? Mm -hmm. We did not perform well. So we're going to go and get in there and make certain that we're ready. That's why I say follow, follow the failure and the fear, because these are the kinds of things, right? That really grab people's attention. Um, and it becomes on their mind and they're looking for good, strong, and rapid solutions. Amen. Follow the fear and the failure. I loved it. But you know what? That applies even pre or post pandemic. <laughs> if you can follow the fear and the failure in your marketing content and in, in talking to your prospects, that's just, uh, such a winner. Uh, the couple other things I wanted to ask about, particularly, um, questions, uh, questioning strategy. I just love that in the, in the book. And then matter of fact, just so the listener knows, you even show exactly how to chop up your sales process, what to do, what not to do, what, what to ask folks. So even though in that intro, you said it's not really so much about sales process, <clears throat> I think people could take their sales process. I, I know you all have sales processes out there, right? <clears throat> if you don't, uh, take a look at this and he'll show you what to do. But what, explain what you mean when you say that when you're when you're asking a prospect questions process questions will give you people answers process questions will give you people answers this is an insight that i mean you know you know i had it since i was 21 no i didn't have it since i was 21 <laughs> <laughs> this insight came to me probably a dozen years ago so that was uh, after your uh, business Dealings with Shirk Knight? <laughs> it's around the same time. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was afterwards. Now, wait a minute. Did, did you also tell me that he hung vanilla ice uh, by the ankles from some balcony? Yeah, the fountain blew down in Miami, and because uh, Suge wanted to get uh, Vanilla Ice to sign away his rights to a particular set of lyrics, Vanilla Ice was resistant until he was no longer resistant because he didn't want to be dropped. Um, and were you there on the balcony when that happened? No, no, <laughs> no. This is this is a famous story. It could be an urban legend. All I know is I was at the exact same place, going ahead and, and inking a deal with him, and I couldn't help but from time to time glance out at the balcony because <laughs> you uh, thought you were going there too. <laughs> I there was there was the potential that if we didn't get negotiations accomplished in a positive way, that uh, I I would be that guy. But now, now you have to re-ask your question because uh, no, really, what you're talking about is, is the ideas of questioning, right? Process, so. process questions will give you people answers, and a reason I want to ask you that is because I'm stealing this. Process questions will give you people answers. In other words, don't ask people answers. Yes, yes, yes. So, so like, this are is, you the decision maker? You know, oh gosh, something like right. that. Yeah. The answer is always I'm the decision maker until, yeah. of course, they say I got to run this by somebody, and that's who you know the decision maker is. So. You don't ask that question. You say, you know, um, Mr. Buyer, executive sponsor to whom you're speaking right now, you know, this seems to be an important decision. And so, you know, if we start with you in the conversation, by the time that you uh, make the decision, it's going to have to go through some steps. Of course, that happens. What's the step after this meeting that has to happen? And they say, well, we're going to need this. We're going to need that. Who, who do you bring in to look at that? And uh, is that how you've done things in the past? Yeah, I have engineering come in and take a look at it or the marketing specialist inside of our organization or one of our subcontracts. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then uh, what's the next uh, step, uh, step that you take? Well, we take, take this. And who's involved in that? 
that? Now, what's their role in doing in that particular that you're using them to do? And as you move through that process, step by step from this meeting to the final uh, point in which someone signs off on a contract, they're revealing to you all those people who will have influence. And at some point in there, they're going to say, well, you know, it has to get signed off on by IT and it has to get signed off by my boss. Now, it, those are both rubber stamps, of course, which uh, most dangerous words ever, right? In a decision <laughs> process, right? Okay. No greater lie than, oh, they just rubber stamp my good ideas. Oh, really? If they rubber stamp your good ideas, why don't you have the rubber stamp on your desk? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah but see, it, it's great because you're not saying, you're not asking spe- for specific names necessarily. You're, you're talking about process and it then reveals the whole uh, cast of characters, or I think in your book, you call it the, the buying table. That's right. So another one that I just loved and I'm, oh, man, I feel like a, I feel like a criminal and not just because we're talking about Suge Knight. I feel like I'm going to steal so much from your book, but <laughs> this one, you say every deal and it's true. Every deal has an eel. Every deal has an eel. There is this belief that if I get a buyer, right, I know someone who's a buyer, they'll just push this through the organization and everybody else will fall in line. But every deal has someone who feels impacted by a new choice. Now, sometimes they're not against you, right? Sometimes they're just against change. Sometimes they're just against doing it outside. You are, people are like, well, they don't like us or they're not interested in us. You, it's not a chemistry issue with you. <laughs> they don't know you well enough to hate you. <laughs> That's right. You know, <laughs> That's right. They're processing internally. Now, maybe it's a chemistry issue, but for the most part, their answer is change is threatening. You yeah. have to figure out who that person is. And by the way, they don't always represent themselves. You know what we call those are smiling assassins. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. They're just saying, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. Absolutely. I'm on, I just, and here's really, uh, the really dangerous words. I just don't think it's the right thing to do now, mm. you know? So, uh, and I say not now is from the original Greek, which is no. Um, so, uh, you know, I've used that joke before. It's worked for me, Doug. It's just it's not working. I got to let you know. But, hello, um, hello, is this on? So, yeah, hello, hello, hello. Hey, that's right. Let's so, hardworking waiters and waitresses. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I'll be here all week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the but the thing is, is that yeah, that's exactly right. So the thing is, is that not now. The world will change in some period of time, and some other priority will step in. So what your job is is to get to an answer of why this is now. The measure is urgency. And if there isn't urgency, especially in the world that we're in right now, but this was pre-pandemic, the issue is urgency. And an eel can kill something by and never look like they're against it. Their answer is, I'm the one who wants to do this. I'm the big fan of doing this, but I just think that right now, it's just the wrong thing for us to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. The whole time they're saying to their boss, Gosh, you know, you've got no bigger fan than me, but, and, um, and so that's, that's every deal has an eel. You have to look for the most important thing is, is what we call the executive sponsor, which is the senior buyer. The second thing you have to look for is the eel. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't go look for friends because you already have a senior friend. Go look for the person who's going to kill you in the deal. All of us have been in deals that wound up, uh, falling apart at the very end, right at the close. And and how did you get killed? You got killed off by an eel, guaranteed. 
Yep. But also, the thing I like about it is it just go ahead and assume there's an eel. Don't stop until you find the eel, and then you can work your, your way back. If for some reason you don't find that eel, well, okay, maybe there was a unicorn, but not an eel. And then, of course, I have to ask, did you use the term eel because it rhymes with deal or because you didn't want to use the term snake out of fear that people would think you're talking about attorneys? Uh <laughs> Uh, I will. I will tell you that the metaphor of um, my first book is whale hunting. So I was looking for uh, you know water based oh, okay. types of issues, and you know eel represent you know rhyming with deal was just a bonus. Yes, and we should also disclose that your uh, son is a recovering uh, lawyer. <laughs> he he is a recovering lawyer, but we we have great hopes for him. Um, so uh, I know possible. a lot of successful former attorneys, and I'm also wondering, are they successful because they're so not practicing law anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who uh, who wound up being former attorneys who go back to it. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Okay. One of the last things I want to talk about was questioning. I. The, the, the questioning approach, you say that you need to restructure your questioning approach for prospects when you're, when you're selling in place. Yes. Why and, and, and what, what should you do differently? Uh, a couple of things. First is if you understand that selling in place collapses the speed of uh, uh, getting a deal closed. If you had five touch points in the past, you now will uh, get it done in three. If it used to be eight, it'll be down to five. Why is that? It's because when you're with them, if you ask the right questions, you will get a greater amount of information and a higher quality of information than your competitors. And so to demonstrate an expertise, most everyone uh, who's a senior uh, kinds of salesperson or marketing person, like the people that are listening to this podcast, understands the power of questions. However, there's a formula for taking good questions and turning them into uh, better questions or best questions. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just you let's just use you uh, you and I for an example. So um, if I said to you, okay, so with your marketing efforts right now, what is it that you're trying to prove over the course of the next twelve months? That's a reasonable question, right? I mean, that's a question. <laughs> That other people ask, right? Sure. <clears throat> and if I said to you, what's the threshold of performance that you need to get out of your marketing efforts inside of the next 90 days that has to be sustainable in the next 12 months? What's that threshold minimum level of success that will make you feel comfortable that you made the right choice? That's a hundred times better a question. And it also, it actually makes it easier. Like if we're selling marketing services, knowing that, because <laughs> this thing we struggle with is companies that didn't have, never had a goal. We could never, we could never pin it down, which is why I like these questions so much because it pandemic or not, these questions were much more specific and helpful for determining if we can help them or if we should stop talking to them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, other. you know, here's the, it, more often than not, if you ask, these kinds of questions, they're going to give you an answer of, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah. Which and that's not, a bad, that's not a bad thing for them to be saying, right? Well, it reinforces the idea that you're an expert. Can I make a shameless plug? Sure. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a whole video series 
called Better Questions for Bigger Sales. You can get it on our website. <clears throat> and it's a video online series that focuses just on how do I ask these kinds of questions? Because here's the thing that you uh, probably noticed in this. All we did fundamentally was change the word in a very good question, and we, we changed the word threshold. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When we did that, it was a very strong shift. It was a fulcrum of specificity that your prospect or your customer was not used to. And from that, they had to come up with better answers. And I'll guarantee you, your competitors are not using those kinds of fulcrum-based uh, questions to get the specificity. Yes. And if uh, another, get another thing I got from this short book was that you can win by getting information that others don't have, and you can get that by asking the right kind of questions. I know this is probably you know, very obvious to you, but if you're asking questions that could have been collected through public information, you're really wasting your time. I, I keep going back to the fear and the failure and then ask these kinds of questions. And what was really helpful in the book is where you have like a good question, and then you show a great question. It's, it's a page after page showing, in other words, you know. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but even I was able to start <laughs> capturing, oh, I see, I see what they're doing. Oh, man, that's part of the thing that got me so inspired. It's like I wanted to go, you know, employ some of these, uh, these questioning strategies. And you talk about, you know, great questions. Uh, how, do they, how do they differ from, from good ones? And I'm just going to tell you, the listener, that you, they're specific. Uh, they're historical they're narrative, behavioral, and they cause people to be vulnerable. And just this week, I was chatting with a guy named Paul Cherry, who wrote a book called Questions That Sell. And he was also talking about how if you can ask a historical question, it's really, really helpful. And I was wondering if you could explain what what a historical question is and why those can be so um, revelatory. The revelation comes because it's a narrative-based question. A person has to go back to a period, some window of time in which there was something that changed for them or an insight that they gathered. So they can't just answer yes or no or 12.5% or whatever. And so a question that says, what was the first response your organization had right at the beginning of pandemic? And how did that change over the course of where you are right now? Help me to understand where that was. Help me, uh, help me to understand what January 1 looked like as an organization, your plans, your goals, and all the rest of that stuff. And help me to understand what that looked like up till March 1. Those are his, those are narrative questions, mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I know, and, uh, and I think everybody knows how important storytelling is. When a person tells you that story, they're living through, and you know, there's a lot of language in sales calls. Go find the pain, and all the rest of those kinds of things. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage it as much as I'm trying to disparage it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It, it's, you know, some things that are so repetitive, it's just like someone is waiting to say, oh, gosh, they're going to ask me what my pain is. I can't yeah. stand it. Tell me um, about your budget, authority, need, timing. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. Don't ask uh, you know, questions. What, what, what keeps you up at night? If oh, you were yes. at a, and if you could wave a wand, what would better look like? And you're saying, please, please don't ask that. If I'm a buyer, I'm thinking to myself, you are an idiot. Um <laughs> I mean, did I say that too strongly? I hope not. No, it's um, so true. And that's I think that's what has led to this um, thing I've heard of called discovery fatigue. It's like, no, I don't want to hop on a call with you for 30 minutes 
so, so you can learn about my problems. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm over that. And I think a lot of buyers are too. Very much so. And especially during a period of time in which there's uncertainty, I want you to come to me as an expert with some relevant answer. Mm-hmm. Right now, it doesn't have to be the complete answer, but if you're, if I have, to, if, if you have to learn um, as a salesperson from me as a prospect about what my problems are, then you are not someone that is going to give me an answer rapidly. You're so busy, you're so long on the education and the tuition cycle, and I can't pay your tuition, Mister Salesperson. I can't. I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. So. Before we start to wrap up, I just wanted to ask about some of the etiquette of selling in place. And I was wondering if you could talk about something that, again, got me excited in the book where you were talking about the importance of getting a half-decent headset or a microphone (laughs) so that people can hear you on the other end of that Zoom call or or whatever it is you're, you're talking to them about. And I wanted to recommend the I think it's $22. It's the Logitech H390. I encourage guests to use it. Truth be told, my mixer crashed this week. I'm using an H390 right now, (laughs) and hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. But remind listeners why it's so important that you're clear, but also uh, what else that does in terms of asking the other person not to have to keep repeating themselves. Worst things you can have on a call is, is, can you hear me okay? Did that come through? Oh, you want me to repeat that? I mean, all of that sounds like you are some level of a rookie. Mm -hmm. You know, I use a a Logitech um, camera that I hook on to the monitor and et cetera. It shoots straight on. It's it's very sensitive to light and et cetera. I I told you I use a a much more more expensive headset, and I got that from a gamer. I, I went and looked at all the best headsets that were out there, and I found that gamers uh, had this, and uh, this is kind of a, a HyperX. I believe that having a much larger monitor is good because if you're on a Zoom call and you're bringing three, four, five different people in there, it's good to be able to see them all at once, even though you may have arranged it so the person speaking comes to the forefront. Whatever that is, those kinds of tools are very helpful because they demonstrate in each place that you are a professional who handles their business professionally um, during those particular moments in which you are in contact and that you are not wasting people's time because they can't hear you, they can't see you, the platform isn't strong enough, uh, all of those kinds of issues, and you're not being able to hear hear them. And I really advocate, and it's in the book as well, that you record um, calls and Zoom. Now, it's appropriate to ask, and the reason that you're recording them is for detail. Uh, you want to make certain that you get all of the details. As long as you offer them an opportunity to receive uh, those types of recordings, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they may or may not take you up on that, but they're going to feel more comfortable that you're not leveraging it against them or you're holding it against them. And you, you can also state to them, look, I'm only going to use this internally because I want to put together my notes and I don't want to miss anything because our time is uh, valuable and precious. Let me add to that. I, I've, I've found that most of the times they'll say, yeah, sure, go ahead and record it. But I think it also sends a subconscious message of the value I'm about to provide you, you're going to want to have this. <laughs> you know? That's right. I, I'm, I'm happy being recorded because I'm, I'm, I'm so confident in what's going to happen here. But you also remind folks in here that um, 
you know, do, don't multitask while you're trying to talk to somebody. You actually have to pay more attention to seeing them on screen than you normally would if you were sitting in the room because you're, you have to work harder to pick up any kind of body language or things like that. Don't drive. I was, uh, there was <laughs> oh, a, I hate that. Oh, yeah. and I, I cancel the calls. If somebody goes, no, I'm driving. And I just say, no, I'm sorry. I, I really feel very strongly. I mean, I do personally feel very strongly about not wanting people talking to me while they're driving. And we had one with a client and they said, well, this guy, yeah, we can all join you, but this guy's going to be driving. And I said, Hey, you know what? Let's just, let's just do it when he can be there. And it was much better meeting anyway, but also, you know, control the noise and uh, things like that. So Tom, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Expertise is the new currency of relationships. Your demonstration of expertise is what penetrates uh, all of the defense mechanisms, all of the whether or not you're relevant. The currency of developing a relationship is how do I know that you are going to solve my problem, that you're the best at it, and that you're relevant to me. You're not just a bucket of capabilities that has to be then orchestrated to me or my industry in order to offer value. Expertise expertise, expertise. Mm, amen. And that is so helpful, not just for sales folks, but the, the marketing people that need to be uh, working more closely with them. What is one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the ideas from your book? Um, I think we talked about uh, really what you're doing is you're creating all of the set pieces of a stage. You know, we talked about phone, we talked about uh, monitor, we talked about a recording, we talked about uh, the third or the last one I would say is your own personal comfort. The craziest thing is, is people say, what do I need to be really successful selling in place? I said, <laughs> if you're going to spend money uh, other than on a monitor, spend it on a chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You have like an air on, I think. Yeah, it's, I do. I mean, I have a very expensive chair because guess what? I don't want to be fatigued at the end of the day and I don't want to be uncomfortable at the end of the day. I want to be focused. People think that's that you're, yeah, you, Tom, really? You're going to talk about chairs? My answer is, yeah, you're not at your office or at least not as often as you used to be. You need to be in a place that you're on stage, so to speak, and building relationship or expertise or whatever. And part of that is where you are. If you were to look out um, at me right now, you would see, yes, I'm in an office, but it's appointed very nicely. I don't look like somebody who's trying to have this podcast out of a closet. (laughs) Okay. Well, you sound great. So, and this is audio only, so uh, folks don't get to see you, but also, um, there, I'm going to mention that th- uh, we're going to include a link to the book website, which is part of your larger site. And it's got um, a bunch of very helpful worksheets that uh, I'm already starting to download. So that's we'll include a link to it at this episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. So, Tom, what books have most inspired your working career? I was thinking about, and I'm a book junkie. I read a hundred books a year. Um, wow! And so, yeah, I know it's more uh, than I do. Yeah, it's an addiction. Yeah, exactly. And you interview people about books, but uh, and obviously, uh, you read my book. Or other than that, you're just really good at faking it. Um, uh, I can it helps pretty much prove I'm not good at faking it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so uh, this is going to be interesting for marketers out there, especially when we talk about expertise. The Trusted Advisor by David Meister, and it's been around forever. 
But the trusted advisor by David Meister is the ability to create a relationship based upon expertise and value. I, I know it's been around forever, but I'm going to tell you the concept of developing those relationships so important. Second one is in another old book, and it's called The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Yes, I have it. It Phenomenal. Um, yes. yes. I, of course, Simon Sinek and Seth Godin. I mean, everybody probably lists them when they're on here. And guess what? There's a reason. They're phenomenal. Um, well, most people mentioned Tom Searcy, so that's why I'm excited to. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know what? Uh, the trusted advisor, My, I still go to Sandler training. After a couple of years, they said, you know, you don't have to pay anymore. Just don't drink so much coffee when you come here. And um, the trust, my former Sandler trainer, I mean, that was, I was Sandler trainer. Uh, and he ultimately sold it, the franchise to someone else, but the, because, you know, I just outlasted him, but he was always <laughs> quoting from the trusted advisor. Great book. So, yeah. It's a great book. And it is, uh, in some ways transformational around how you think value occurs, um, in the conversation It really emphasizes. And of course, Maester was a consultant. Um, but in the world that we're talking about expertise creates the relationship opportunity to be a consultant mm-hmm. and everybody who's out there. What are people looking at? They're looking for experts to, to steer them. So, and, uh, my new favorite is masterclass online. I just think it's the most amazing thing. Um, because it inspires all sorts of ideas because you're listening to amazing experts in their field and it changes the way that you represent yourself um, because these are people whose expertise is unquestioned. Mm -hmm. Um, But how they represent themselves really informs how you can represent yourself. Oh, interesting. And you know, um, I believe, yes, Steve Martin uh, has a class on on masterclass. He does. Com. Yes. So uh, but, I remember. Annie Leibovitz has one on there. Um, Gordon Ramsay has one on there. One of my very uh, favorite. Ri- I mean, a number of my very favorite writers are on there. And uh, yeah, Neil yeah. Uh, Neil Gaiman is on there, who I think is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Looking so, at it right now, I see Neil deGrasse Tyson's there, and uh, yeah, um, and some of these the, other authors. Yeah, it's great. That's great. You you watch them how they handle themselves, and they present expertise in a very specific way. It's very accessible, and yet you never have a doubt in your mind that this person is a master of their uh, of their craft. Yeah, interesting. It's uh, it's only fifteen dollars a month. Wow, I'd never I had looked and seen that, and then I kind of completely forgot about it. It was the next shiny object that I that I got to. So, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Well, I know Mark Hunter, and our our paths have crossed for a long, long time. Just love him. Mm, me too. Um, yeah, so, yeah, he's just great. And I know he's been on uh, your your show and your podcast a number of times, and that's only beneficial to all of us. Um, Jeb Blount, so a mind for sales. Yes, uh, Mark. Yeah. Great. But yeah, so, I interviewed about that. I loved it. Yeah. I know. He's just he's just the best. Um, Jeb Blount's got a, a book, Virtual Selling. And uh, so I think that I got an early uh, draft of that. Um, yes, I was supposed anyway. to interview a week and they had to move it to a week later. But yeah, I wanted to get you and Jeb <laughs> talking about these two books uh, yeah. on there. Yeah. I, and I haven't seen it yet. So um, I'm sure they'll send I, me a copy. 
Yeah, the Challenger sale and the Challenger customer have been out for a, a long time, six, seven years. I'm rereading them because mm. those truths are so good. And so, you know, I and I, I've got to imagine the number of books on your nightstand is amazing. Well, you know, uh, people that are people that want to be experts and smarter and understand, they've got big book collections or audio collections or digital book collections because they're constantly trying to get smarter about their craft. And so and when you get something, you know, I, so I've got five books I read every year and, you know, the effective executive is one of them. Right. And the oh, wow. trusted advisor is another one. Uh -huh. and, and so I read, I read those every year. And what are the other three that you read? Those are more personal. One is a, oh, okay. uh, a book of poetry by uh, some uh, the, poet laureate of uh, out of Nebraska, who was one of my teachers. Uh, and there's a couple of others. I read the Bible every year. Uh, mm -hmm. back. Well, not front to back. Uh, <laughs> you, you'll, ne you'll never, you'll never make it past Leviticus. <laughs> and if you go into numbers, it's over. So you have to, you have to blend it. Yeah. Anyway, so so <laughs> you have to know where the know. speed bumps are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Book of Revelation, a little rough, kind of <laughs> chewy. So. Yeah. Well, uh, terrific. And also I'm going to include a link to how to sell in place.com, which is the, where all the, the checklists are and people can buy your book and all that sort of thing. Um, and at marketingbookpodcast.com, like I said, we're going to include links to all your sites and your social media and I'm going to include your LinkedIn profile. So I hope listeners will, will reach out to you and thank you for uh, being on the show. And for you, dear listener, if you are listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links, not if you're driving, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is How to Sell in Place, Closing Deals in the New Normal. The authors are Tom Searcy and Kara Jane Moore. Tom, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, Doug, thank you so much, and I look forward to us talking in the future. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who've left an iTunes review, I really appreciate it and would like to return your kind favor by mailing you a thank you note and include a Marketing Book Podcast bookmark and laptop sticker. Just message me on LinkedIn, your mailing address, anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And if you'd like to record a question that could be played and answered on a future episode, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.